Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. All right, so we are back in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And uh, today it's a special series that I'm doing uh, with my brother in arms, Yusef Shakur. He's... uh, He's brought some of his big homies in the mix, and I'm definitely blessed with this opportunity to interview them. Uh, Big homies in the Black Panther Party. We know Youssef and the black people in general, and and really America needs to be so proud of the work of the Black Panther Party. And right now I have Arthur League that was a member of the LA chapter, the Black Panther Party. Mr. League, how you feeling? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you, thank you. So. Let's start off and uh, talk about what led you to the Black Panthers. Well, I'm from originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And during the civil rights movement, when people were marching and singing in the streets for civil rights, I was a part of that process as a very young child. And I grew up in that process through uh, SNCC and the whole rebellions that were going on across America and I graduated from high school and I came to California or went to California to get um, further education Hmm. and while there I met these black folks that were the black folks I think I've been looking for all my life Wow! and they were a member of an organization called Black Panther Party it was on the campus of UCLA and and I finally found home. I knew what I needed to do. Okay. So <laughs> you leave Tennessee in the 60s. Yes. And head to L.A. What was the cultural shift? Uh, well, first, let's talk a little bit about Tennessee then. Um, what was the tone uh, of the black community that you were from uh, there? Uh, what was happening? What were, what were the relationships uh, with just black people in America at that time as you were coming up then? You know, at one point when I was much younger, I lived in the projects. And so it was very high density. Black people were like together, you know, really close together. And that there was a sense of community in terms of you was responsible to all the um, adults in the community. Mm. So if you was out uh, acting out, doing some stuff that uh, you shouldn't be doing, you didn't have to go home to get that tail spanked. You know, the, the neighbor would take care of that business and send you home with a red tail, mm. you know. Um, so there was a closeness that was born of oppression, that you had to be each other's first line of defense. It was not this notion of, as black people, we got to do this, we got to do that. It was not a notion at all. It was a reality that in order to survive, you had to have each other's, what they call today, each other's back and be that line of defense. So going to L.A., and I can only imagine it's just different. What were some of the things that stood out to you about the black community there in L.A. when you touched down? Well, it, you know, country bumpkin. I'm going to L.A. Uh-huh. So 
I'm, I, I, I'm out of touch with what's hipped. Uh-huh. Um, hadn't, didn't even, had never heard the term marijuana in my life, <laughs> let alone know anybody who smoked marijuana. Yep. Uh, got there, and people were smoking this stuff, and I was watching them rolling, and they're calling me country because I got this accent. Yeah. And I'm looking at them thinking, they think I'm country? They don't even know you can buy cigarettes already rolled up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the one that's clueless, but I think I'm hip. You know? uh, so it was. It took a bit getting used to in terms of people were always uh, messing with me because of my accent. Mm-hmm. But to me, it wasn't an accent. It's just the way I talked. You know. So in this, as you're making this adjustment, you find a welcoming with the Black Panther Party. Well, up on the, up at UCLA, there was this uh, dorm called Waven Hall, and and all these Panther women was on the thirteenth floor, and they called it taboo, and mm-hmm. and the men was all over the place, and most people would go and take classes who went you know, to the school, and some stayed there, but there was always these meetings and discussions and this determination to stop the killing of black people at the hands of the police. And I ju- it just resonated with me that uh, uh, there was people who were saying this stuff out loud, and we got to do this. Now, and, now you're you're leaving 60s Tennessee, which we, I can only imagine 60s Tennessee the 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 layer of uh, the relationship between black folk and the police. And then you get to L.A. That, you know, because sometimes people can romanticize things. Like even now, like people be like, "Man, I go there, racism don't even exist." You know, um, when did it hit you that like, nah, the, the the good old boy network is still in effect out here in L.A especially with the cops oh absolutely and most of the cops were from the south hmm. that's why they brought them they recruited them from the south a- explain that because i've heard stories about that that they that it was like intentional to try to pull some of the like almost ex clan and, and, and some of that good old boy network like from alabama like if you're if you're a white guy you know country bred strong we want you out here in the la police force well a- absolutely because racism uh knows no borders so the racism in the South and the racism in the West, the North, the East, or as Malcolm said, any time you South of the Canadian border, you South, is, is, is absolutely the truth. So as many people were dying at the hands of police outside of the South than in the South, you might get beat senseless in the South a whole lot quicker before they shoot you. Hmm. Out here or in the West, uh, it was like an Olympic sport. Wow. Uh, shooting so, black folks. So you saw like uh, more savagery from police officers when you got out to L.A. as you were hearing. And uh, what you were probably like reading the Sentinel and just picking up this information. The Sentinel is one of the uh, papers out that way. You know. No. It was so common. I, to put it in perspective. You hear about what's going on today, and you hear the names. You hear George Floyd, you know, Brown. We hear about those 
contemporarily, and they they resonate because people got some film, right? But then in, in in that time period, that's what gave rise to the Black Panther Party. It was the fact that black people were being killed whole. It was whole uh, wholesale. I mean, it was slaughter going on, but nobody was accepting it outside of the black community. People in the black community know what was going on. There was big rebellions. There was a Watts Rebellion, uh, 1965, that was huge. I mean, they brought <laughs> they brought the army in. They did exactly what they didn't do when they breached the Capitol. Yeah. They brought in in the community. They had tanks. Yeah. And stuff. Oh, they had tanks in Nashville. Wow. So, oh. so this is happening. What was your role uh, in joining the Black Panther Party? What was your role, and uh, and what were you doing at embracing that role? Well, one of the first things I did was what all Panthers do: is go to school. So hmm. we had what's called cadre classes, which are building. Um, uh, uh, groups of, of squads to go out and protect the community and in order to take those chances because the the police turned their guns on us yeah. when we objected to what they was doing to people in the community they turned their guns on us and that's a very frightening thing when somebody with a license to kill you turns their guns on you yeah. Uh, and to object to that, you got to be have a strong foundation. And so we educated ourselves, and we fought back. Uh, so in fighting back, is this uh, just uh, firearms training? Is this uh, martial arts training? What what forms of training were you learning in defense through the Black Panthers? <laughs> I, I, no, this was no book. This was no book fight. This was a fight, a real fight in the streets. Like mm. I, I went to to uh, prison as a result of uh, some of these firefights, and wow. many of us died. But we didn't do all the dying. Mm. Um, but we did fight back. Literally fight back. Did you already have uh, some firearm experience? Absolutely. Uh, being from Tennessee, I assume uh, absolutely it's a little bit more. You know, common play. Most of my family died, you know, in the South, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got a couple, you know, they real familiar with firearms. Right. We didn't go to we didn't go to the AMP into the Safeway into them kind of stores. Mm -hmm. I mean when we went to get our meat, you know, if it moved, it was on the menu. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> if it moved <laughs> so, so that's why I'm a vegetarian to this day. <laughs> it was on the menu. I feel you. I, I I learned to shoot because I I, I hunted with my family for for food, mm -hmm. you know at, at different um, you know in the country in, in, in Nashville when I was in the city of Nashville you wasn't so much hunting anything but you just go out outside twenty thirty miles and you could fill up your freezer wow. full of refrigerator. So so this uh, so th this this training and then embracing. Um, young man at the time, uh, are, are you teenager? You know how 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 well uh, how well aware are you of of the of this imminent danger? Life and death is right there facing you all the time. And and then, what was it that gave you the courage to engage? 
That's a question that people often ask about this courage question. I have never thought of it in terms of courage. courage. Hmm. I've always thought of it in terms of necessity. Wow, survival. That um, the cultural shift that had gone on at that period of time is one of the you know the times that we start to uh, taking uh, ourselves and each other's very seriously. Mm -hmm. So we talked about uh, brothers and sisters, not uh, you know A N or A B. That was not appropriate. And if you was called an N or a B, it was not a compliment. Yeah. It it was that you stood outside of the struggle for liberation, as we called it. And we called it being free. Then we understood it in the concept in the context of the notion that slavery ended some time ago. But in practice, uh that's all the penitentiaries were. So when you talk about the penitentiaries, and also this is such an interesting discussion when we talk about the right to bear arms in America and the whole idea of fighting against uh, tyranny uh, or with the militia and everything. California is one of those interesting states because at the time, California was extremely conservative. But historically, as everything I read, the Panthers changed all that because this state that was definitely the wild, wild west and, and almost like what people see as Texas now. Like, you know, you walk around Texas, you'll see people with like two, three firearms on them. I hear California used to be like that. But then when the Panthers started carrying guns, all of that changed. So black folks with firearms changed the whole idea of, uh, of, of, of what these charges are. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about the laws working against what the Panthers were and became and just black folks and protecting themselves with firearms? Well, they had laws mm -hmm. that you could have weapons. Yeah. Um, those were the laws, and they were still killing us. And so what we did, decided to do was arm ourselves with information and so a part of the learning process is we learned the laws about these guns and things and we went on patrol in the community every time we saw the police word would go out cops was in the in the area we would show up yeah. since we knew that they was killing people and we knew the 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 rule concerning guns we showed up with shotguns mm -hmm with pistols, with rifles, and we would stand on the street and tell the person being harassed by the police what their rights were. And if they got arrested, we'd follow them to jail. Hmm. And if we had the resources, we'd bail them out. Hmm. And, and the police just, they lost it. Wow. Because these black folks uh, standing around with these guns, and, and we wasn't hiding the guns, we'd had a gun over our shoulders. Telling the uh, uh, you know brother or sister what their rights were, and the police telling us we had to leave, and we tell them <laughs> we don't have to go anywhere. This these types of situations it removed the guns, but these situations happen now. I mean, when we think about uh, 
when we even think about you know the George Floyd situation and the officers officers shooing away the people that were standing there on a public street, right, 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 and and, and you know just the fear of being black and engaging with the officer can be, you know that that's jolting. Is it's a life or death experience every time I engage with a police officer, you know. Right. Uh, so, so having that, you know. I guess, as you say, the necessity of, of that work that you were doing then. Um, how do you feel now when California is one of those states, almost like New York, I think almost even trying to own a firearm is so difficult in California, especially like well, L.A.? Well, I, I, I think this, that because of, of the fact that a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about for years and experienced for years is being caught on this new technology called these little uh, telephones with cameras yeah. and all that stuff, people are actually able to see it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, particularly younger people, are kind of in a state of shock that this is going on. Because people, you know, America is, 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 is a chameleon. It, 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 it wraps itself up in any kind of color that puts it in the best light. <laughs> I like uh, but that. people I like will, that. have been able to actually see this stuff yeah. and, and have objected. What's problematic is they're objecting to the behavior, but what they're not calling for is the level of unity that uh, can oppose the behavior. So, for an example, when someone dies, you hear a crescendo of calls of Black Lives Matter. And for a few days, many people are saying Black Lives Matter. And it finally dawned on me, wait a minute, why is it mattering once we're dead? Yeah. Why does not Black Lives Matter while we're still here? Yeah. And rather than just marching in the streets saying the words Black Lives Matter, why don't we organize with each other? Why don't we understand what we learned as kids that we are our first line of defense? And now it's multiracial. And what do we end up with? We end up with some folks calling for, we don't want white people in the mix. Really? Uh, And these folks are taken to the street, doing stuff, or taking positions that you're not even taking. Where was you last week? Yeah. I saw you when brother man or sister lady is dead. What was you last week when, before they died? Yeah. What was your organization then and why are we not letting the powers that be know that we are challenging what you're doing? It's not okay. So with this, and this is, this is uh, definitely more powerful and like instrumental uh, when, when we think about this information and, and, and characterizing it and, and the questions I ask about firearms are very important as that is one of those standing staples of when a lot of people think the Panther Party they're thinking you know strong black dudes in a black leather coat black jeans and in a, a, a black turtleneck with a big shotgun you know uh, but it's so much more than that and when we think about that that tool and that weapon was one of the tools of the defense but along with that defense came 
other ways of, of empowering and defending the grounds of, of our community, uh, feeding children, uh, empowering people with information. Uh, how have you seen the, the, the movement blossom in that time? And you said you, you spent time in prison as well. So like during this time, what, what, what cultural shifts have you witnessed uh, from that initial work of engaging and protecting the community? The cultural shift in my perspective, from my perspective, mm -hmm. is that seems to be a loss of the connections that we have, whether we want them or not. Hmm. And a lot of people don't want them. Explain. Oh, well, you know, like for us, it was brother and sister. What's up, brother man? How you doing, sister lady? Um, how's it going? That's building community. See, we all live in neighborhoods. We got no choice because that's how society is structured. The struggle is not to build a neighborhood. It's to build community. And community is a place that protects you all over the world because you have something in common that pulls you together that when you are attacked, you are attacked. Everybody is attacked. There's this view now that people own some parts of these things called um, neighborhoods. This is my turf. This is my this, this is my that. Not understanding that your real strength lies in your unity. Because when the police come and knock somebody off, what you left with is marching in the street, raising your voice. And police don't really care about you raising your voice. They've been doing this for a long time. Um, even when they're out, um, um, when people are rebelling and, and what they call riding and looting and whatever euphemism they use to describe the, the frustration level of people, uh, the police are loving it. So it never was the gun that is the thing that they feared. And it's really important for people to understand because you know, Panther mania, Panther fantasy is insulting to me. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it, it wasn't them damn guns. It was the fact that we literally worked in our community. In Los Angeles, we stamped out crime in our communities. We told the people that was committing crimes, it's not working here. Uh, and this is not a request. It's not happening here. And it didn't happen there. A lot of the, the, the biggest gangs in Los Angeles, or, or the, the Slossons, the biggest property gang in America, I mean, literally put down their hatred and joined the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. uh, Bunchy uh, Carter, who, Yusef uh, uh, Bunchy Secure, who, who, who honors his name. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, turned the whole gang mentality into a mentality of a community. The police got scared when we started serving children breakfast. We were children. Serving breakfast to children because many of us had been, uh, had food shortages in our lives and we understood how difficult it was to learn on an empty stomach. Yeah. So we went out and got food. 
Yeah. And fed children on their way to school. J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, lost his mind. They outgunned us. They had better guns than us. They had more guns than us. But we had the people yeah. in our corner. That's what they feared. So, so gathering the people for, for, for younger people looking in this work and organizing, what, uh, what wisdom do you have to share about gathering those people? Well, I think you have to define the phenomena when you want it to act in a different way. And, and I think that that's what's not being practiced right now. And I'll tell you how it works out. So in the prison setting, so I went to prison as what they called a political prisoner because it wasn't no you know, social crimes. It was uh, to protect the community. Uh, it happened to me one night that they didn't win. Um, but what's going on like right now contemporarily is that we need to have organizations within our community to build community and we need young people to be involved. We need to understand that there are people in prison who from my generation who are still there. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my uh, closest comrades just died recently. He was the longest held uh, member of the Black Panther Party and he was almost 52 years in prison for stuff that other people got out in centuries, I mean not centuries, but decades, decades uh, uh, less, mm -hmm. right? But as a panther, they didn't want young people to emulate him. Um, and inside those institutions, there are people who are out here who engage in some real bad behavior. but turn their lives around, right? And yet they're still went in as teenagers and come out as, as old people. And then there's people inside who, who got hipped, who's trying to change the phenomenon, to bring it on, to, to, to develop it, so that people will come out of there as assets rather than liabilities to the community. They're doing the best they can. But they're doing it after the fact. I think if we can get some of those folks who have given decades of their lives to this work out of there, demand that we need them in the community so that the young people in the community can hear firsthand before going into that, that environment. I mean, what good does it do you to go in at 19 and you're getting out <laughs> at 49? You're no longer a youth. Yeah, you got it. You're clear now, but what young what young person is going to be listening to you at that point? Yeah. How about when they're still young people and developing, and to understand that it's okay to have someone be your brother, that you don't have to compete mm -hmm. on this level that's life and death. And in fact, when you compete on this level that's life and death, that you risk you your family, everybody that you know, because they use that as a pretense to have these notions that, and the they, I mean the authorities, that we, we put our lives on the line every day when we go out into these communities. 
That's a lie. They put our lives on the line every day. Count them. Count how many of those people did you read in the newspaper that something happened to and how many of us all over this country. Yeah. They put our lives on the line daily. Mm. And we can do something about that. But we need to be intentional. So with that, the work you're doing today, what, what's the work you're doing today? Well, that's what I'm doing today. That's exactly <laughs> why I'm here. I got you. We are trying to get people from coast to coast. So mm -hmm. we're getting old. Right? I'm in my 70s at this point, right? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to say early 70s because <laughs> it sounds better. But I'm in, my, I'm, in my, I'm in my 70s at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had some experience mm -hmm. of resistance. Yeah. Right. It, it's been my life. So I've never, I've, 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 you know, had jobs, but I've never not been on the same thing I've been on since I was 19 years old. Wow. Well, actually, before that, I just don't sing songs and mm -hmm. talk about overcoming anything. I, yeah. I, I demand now, right? But I think what we need to do is to work together in these communities with these adults, these parents. It just drives me nuts that we fear our own young people and we say they got guns well we didn't fear the police they had guns and the right to shoot you with impunity and we can't even talk to our young people i don't believe it i will not accept it and i'm going to keep on talking and that's what i do yeah you know and, and i'm gonna do it regardless of the outcome because ultimately uh I hope you're not offended, but I'm not trying to get to heaven. Yes. That's that's not my that's not my agenda. Heaven takes care of itself. They told me that the people that that <laughs> run that notion of life already know what's going to happen. So ain't no sense for me to do anything but what I'm doing, because they already know I'm going to do it. <laughs> what am I going to do? Do what I'm going to do. So, but ultimately, it's so important that we build community, that we demand the release of these brothers and sisters inside that are pulling people to the side and, and, and demanding that they come back here as assets rather than liabilities. Look at yourself. I mean, can you imagine a, 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 an asset like that? Mm -hmm. Where did that asset come from? Yeah. It came from interacting with people in this place where they call them the worst of the worst yeah and they producing and they are producing some of the best of the rest yeah right and demanding but not only demanding that you will do this and passing out backpacks to people yeah. every darn year oh mm -hmm. uh, expecting the best out of people yeah and demanding it not in the, you got to do this, but let me show you the example. Right? You don't need to give me no check. Mm -hmm. Let me be an example. I was the example of what not to do. Mm -hmm. But I've learned some new things, and I'm here to try to share that. Okay. And with that in close, how do people get in contact with you if, if they want to uh, support the work that you're doing? Well, here... In this area, and I don't know, you know how how 
far this goes out. But Yousef would be a good starting point. Okay. Because one of the things we're doing here is a series of meetings so that people know what we're doing across the country. Okay. And this is happening in other communities as well. We're, we're determined to pull together. Okay. And if it's our last hurrah, and that's why the people you've seen in this podcast and these old people, that's who we are. And gotcha. we just decided that we can honor the people we lost, to honor the people who put their lives on the line that didn't make it to this point, that we have a duty to those folks as well and to the folks in the community. So we're doing that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for having me. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.